Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 252. It's titled, How to Become Wealthy. This past week, I was sent two surveys. One is the Schwab Modern Wealth Survey. The other is by Stash, which is an investing app where you can start investing with as little as $5. Typically, when surveys are sent to me, there's a press release from their PR firm. Here's what Schwab's PR firm for this particular survey, Edelman, the title of their email said, National Survey Finds Fear of Missing Out Fuels Consumer Spending. First line, over a third of Americans admit that their spending habits have been influenced by what their friends share on social media. The next survey, Stash, their PR firm is Bosbar, Bosbar, perhaps. The email said, millennials say they'd risk the lottery as their retirement plan. First line, new data from Stash reveals that 18% of Americans are basing their retirement plans on winning the lottery. And nearly 60% of millennials think the lottery is a good plan for their retirement. These surveys, you always have to step back and first see how they were constructed. And then how was the question asked? particularly the fact that 60% of millennials are basing their retirement plans on the lottery. But if you actually look at the question, how it's phrased, it's how do you plan to retire? Select all that apply. So you get to choose multiple answers. So they add up to more than 100%. And the choices are, I hope to win the lottery. I expect my children to help move to a new country where it's cheaper move in with family members, get a part-time job doing something I love, I'll live off my social security, I'll marry someone rich and live off their money, I'll live off of the savings in my retirement account, I don't have any retirement plans. 22.8% don't have any retirement plans, according to this survey. Now, both of these surveys were online surveys. The Schwab survey was adjusted to essentially be demographically representative of the U.S. population. The stash, it looked close, but they didn't mention that it was actually scaled to to match the demographics of the U.S. They tried to, but didn't say that. What's the margin of error? Plus or minus 3% in terms of these percentages. We'll use these surveys as well as some data from the Federal Reserve to look at what does it take to be wealthy? How does one become wealthy? wealthy. To start, the Schwab survey said 59% of those who responded consider themselves savers. They like to save. 65% said they're willing to sacrifice spending to save for later. Yet, with nearly two-thirds being willing to sacrifice to save for later, 59% said they live paycheck to paycheck. In 2016, the Federal Reserve Survey of Consumer Finances showed that 15% of families report spending more than they receive in income, which I guess would be worse than paycheck to paycheck. Typically, they make up that gap by taking money out of savings or investments or borrowing. According to the Schwab survey, 44% usually carry a credit card balance or struggle to keep up with bills and payments. This will be important when we look at what does it take to be wealthy. Obviously, you're not going to become wealthy if you can't even 
meet your existing expenses, like 15% of the U.S. population, and you're never going to be wealthy if indeed you're living paycheck to paycheck and not able to save. Now, the stash survey said 65% of the respondees were living paycheck to paycheck, but then they had different granularity there in which some said they were living paycheck to paycheck, but were also saving, which in my mind, if you're saving, then that's not really paycheck to paycheck. The Schwab survey asked, well, how much money did you spend on non-essential items in a typical month? And they defined that as spending on things like eating out, entertainment, luxury items, or vacations. In other words, apart from rent, mortgage, and basic necessities. The amount was $483, about $6,000 per year, only about 10% of the average income reported by those that responded. So I actually thought that was fairly low. But we want to talk about what does it take to be wealthy? And so the logical question is, how much does one need to be considered wealthy? Schwab asked that. And the answer was $2.27 million. That was the average response against those that responded. 60% of those that are responding are optimistic they will be wealthy someday. 8% already consider themselves wealthy. Another 7% within a year. 17% in five years. 20% in 10 years. And 8% within 25 years. How wealthy, though, are U.S. households. The Federal Reserve does a comprehensive report every quarter. It's called the Z1 report. It's, they take the financial accounts of the U.S. as transaction-level data, asset and liability data, full balance sheets, including net worth for households and nonprofits. And so Schedule101.h of that particular report, I guess B.101.h, shows the balance sheet of households. They have, this is as of year-end 2018, total in the U.S., $113 trillion of assets, $15 billion in liabilities, and a net worth, assets minus liabilities, of $98 trillion. Now, that's huge, but you have to recognize there's 128 million households in the U.S. So the average net worth of households in the U.S. is $768 thousand dollars. The median, which means 50% have below this amount, is $100,000. Now that's well short of what individuals in that Schwab survey said one needed to have financially to be wealthy. They said it needed to be $2.27 million. Now certainly some people are that wealthy. The top 1%, the average is $10.3 million in net worth. The average of the 1% and greater is $30 million. The 90th percentile has $1.1 million. So they're less than that $2.27 million. The vast majority of the U.S. population is not wealthy, according to the expectations set out in that survey. The average wealth of the bottom 90% in terms of net worth is $194,000. And the bottom 10th percentile has a negative $1,000 net worth. Now, it isn't all bad news because these net worth or these balance sheet type studies, what they don't include is the value of Social Security. This is a huge retirement benefit, both in the U.S. as well as other 
federally sponsored retirement plans in other countries. Study by the Federal Reserve estimate that the median Social Security wealth for households in the bottom 50% is $172,000. That's the sort of taking future benefits, putting them in to today's dollars, which is a huge component because the median retirement wealth, so defined contribution plans, defined benefit plans for the bottom 50%, it's only $6,500. Half the population is just that they haven't saved hardly anything for retirement. The next 45%, so not the top five, but between 50 percentile and the 95th percentile, they have on average $288,000 in private retirement wealth. Again, defined benefit plans, defined contribution plans. Then their estimated Social Security wealth is about 343000 because the more you earn, the more potential benefit in Social Security. And then finally, the top 5%, according to the Federal Reserve, has $716,000 on average in private retirement wealth with an estimated value in terms of Social Security of $478,000. So that's kind of where things are in terms of the level of wealth. Most are far short of that in terms of this $2.27 million amount. What I thought was interesting, though, when we look at how does one become wealthy? Because one of the things when we look at the distributions, what's known as wealth share. In other words, the top 1%, their percent of that $98 trillion in total net worth of the U.S. population, their share is going up, while those in the bottom 90% are going down. For example, so in 1990, the top 1% had 30% of the total net worth in the country. Now it's 38.6%. The next 9%, so the next 9% within the top 10th percentile, there has stayed about the same at 38.5%. But the bottom 90% has gone from 33% of net worth in 1990 down to 23%. Now the pie is getting bigger. Total household net worth in the U.S. has grown from $21 trillion in 1990 to $98 trillion through 2018. So it's increased at about a 5.7% annualized rate. We do have more concentration of wealth. The top 1% have a bigger piece of the pie. That top 1%, their net worth grew 5.4% per year on an annualized basis. The next 9% grew at 4.5% per year. And then the bottom 90% only saw their, their net worth grow by 3.1% per year on an annualized basis. So we're getting more concentration of wealth because the net worth of the top 1% and really the top 10% is growing faster than the bottom 90%. How do we get there? How does one, say you're in your 20s, your 30s, and you want to be wealthy? How do you accomplish that? Well, one of the things that became very clear in this survey by Schwab is having a plan, having a written plan. 28% of the individuals that responded to the survey have a written financial plan. 
And of those that do, 63% feel more financially stable. 46% have thought about goals but have no written plan. Now, I would have fallen into that category as I was building my net worth. I had goals, thought about goals, but I just didn't write them down. 26% have no plan at all. Now, this is important. It's something having at least thought about a plan is important because when they contrast planners versus non-planners, 78% of planners pay their bills and save each month, while 38% of non-planners do. 68% of planners have an emergency fund, only 26% of non-planners. 74% of planners automate a portion of their income to go into savings. Could be an automated transfer into the 401k or some other savings vehicle. Only 25% of non-planners do that. 45% of planners never carry a credit card balance and make other loan payments on time or have no debt, whereas only 27% of non-planners do. So it's important to have a plan. It doesn't have to be an elaborate plan. It doesn't have to be a comprehensive financial plan. It can be a very simple plan. There's a couple of books out there, one by Carl Richards called One Page Financial Plan, another by Helene Olin and Harold Polak called The Index Card, Why Personal Finance Doesn't Have to Be Complicated. These plans can be simple. Really, there's three steps to a financial plan to get wealthy. The first is increase your income. You're not going to achieve a $2.27 million of net worth if you're making $25,000 a year. There's just no way to save enough. Not even possible, I believe, making the median of $60,000. It needs to be to where you're making $100,000 or more per year. How do you do that? You get better at what you do. So people pay you for being you as opposed to being a pawn or a cog or a commodity. Sometimes you have to be social initiative. At my old investment firm, it was clear who had initiative and they got paid more. Sometimes you have to ask for a raise. I have sat down with my boss in the past and said, I'm not paid enough and I need more money. I developed a compensation plan at my old firm so that we got paid a percent of the revenue. If you can structure a deal with your firm that you get a percent of the revenue, you can significantly increase your income. You can start a side business. You can do that. Start a side project to generate income. But the idea is to get to the point where you're making more than six figures of income. That's step one of, of the simple plan. Next is increase your savings percentage. How much of that higher income amount you're getting? The stash survey showed that 41% of those that responded save less than 5% of their income. 33% save between 5 and 10%. 15% of those that responded save 10 to 15%. And only 11% save more than 15%. If you want to become wealthy, you need to save more than 15%. Ideally, more than 20% with the company match if you are participating in a defined contribution plan. And if you have one, you should participate. But that's important. You need to save 
a high percent of that growing income. The other way to do that is as your income goes higher, you just don't raise your standard of living. You don't buy a fancier car. You learn to live in a way that feels wealthy without having to spend a lot of money. Find experiences that make you feel rich. Could be a travel experience, but you don't have to go take a a very, very expensive cruise to have a rich travel experience. There's many ways to do this, but the key is you find a comfortable standard of living and you maintain that. The amount you budget for groceries or for eating out, particularly eating out, doesn't go higher significantly as you make more money. Before we look at a third aspect of a simple plan to become wealthy, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. The third aspect of the plan, then, is to increase your investment return. Those that are wealthy generate higher investment returns. We've seen that. Their net worth is growing faster. It's a combination of their incomes growing faster. They're saving more, but they're also generating higher returns on their investments. The Stash survey showed that 74% of those that responded do not invest in stocks outside of the retirement account. You got to invest outside of your retirement account. You need to open an account at a brokerage firm. You can open an account with with a Stash app. And they're not sponsoring this episode. They just sent me the survey. But there's ways that you can invest outside of your retirement account. And that's really the only way you're going to be able to save more than 20% of your income. Now, what's stopping people from investing? Well, the Stash survey showed that 57% said they don't have enough money to invest. That's just not true. You, I mean, you can start with $5. It's developing the habit of investing as part of your simple financial plan. 29% I don't have expertise and find it overwhelming. And it can be. But you start small. You buy an, exchange, an index fund, an index mutual fund. You buy an exchange trade fund. Investing doesn't have to be complicated. 9% say they don't have time. 31% think it's risky. It's not risky. I mean, there's risk, there's uncertainty, but if you build a diversified portfolio, you can grow your wealth and risk is not volatility. 
Risk is financial harm caused by losses. But if you're just starting out, and as you grow your wealth, you can, you can manage that volatility and you can avoid the personal financial harm by having a diversified portfolio. And this was probably the most shocking thing about this Schwab survey. I looked at this data. It said only 14% of investors are diversified, 20% of planners, and 9% of non-planners. Now, that's odd. So I actually wrote them back, the PR firm, and said, will you send me the question, how did they determine whether someone was diversified or not? Here was the question. When it comes to your portfolio, which of the following asset classes do you invest in? The choices were stocks, as in individual companies, mutual funds, and or ETFs, bonds, and other fixed income, cash or cash equivalents like money market funds or CDs, cryptocurrencies, and I'm not sure. To be diversified, according to this survey, they said you had to mark at least stocks, bonds, and cash. So you had to mark three of the four. What wasn't on there was real estate. So it was kind of, it was kind of a, an, an odd question. They probably could have phrased that better. I believe more than 20% of U.S. investors or those that participate in the, in the survey are diversified. How are U.S. households invested overall? I took a look at that balance sheet data, the household balance sheets, as compiled by the Federal Reserve, did some calculations, and found that on average, households in the U.S. have 30% in cash and short-term investments. Now, these are just financial assets. We're excluding real estate at this point. 30% in cash and short-term investments, 13% in bonds. Now, that makes sense to skew more toward ultra short-term because you're getting paid 2.5% to own an essentially a cash-like investment, 30-day T-bills. And if you go out and invest in a 10-year treasury bond or equivalent-type fund, you're getting paid about the same amount. So roughly 43% in cash and bonds, 2% in loans, so they've lent out money or they're receiving interest, and 55% in stocks. So roughly 55-45 in terms of the stock, bond, and cash mix. If we include real estate as part of that net worth calculation, 61% on average of U.S. households are invested in financial-related assets, stocks, bonds, and cash, 39% in real estate. So I thought that was interesting. Back in episode 207, we looked at how the mega-rich invest. They tend to have less in cash. So the ultra-high net worth have 10% in cash, 15% in bonds. The high net worth have 2% in cash and 33% in fixed income. Ultra-high net worth have 29% in stocks and 46% in alternatives. Now, alternatives are, is this broad category, includes private equity, so investments in startup companies, in buyouts, it includes hedge funds, it includes real estate as part of real assets. But these are investments where they're trying to earn generally stock-like returns, more than 6% or so, and so with less volatility. But the idea is to generate a higher return. 
So the, their lower returning investments only make up about of ultra high net worth, about 25%. The lower returning investment, I'm just focusing on financial assets. So we're going to exclude real estate. I think most households, the real estate allocation would be the primary residence. So if we look at that, on average, U.S. households have roughly 44% in lower returning investments, so non-stock-like investments, whereas ultra high net worth have 25% in those lower returning investments. Now, it's not an easy comparison. Sort of, it might be a little apples to pear type comparison. But the reality is, high net worth, ultra high net worth, are generating higher returns than those that are not. They tend to be, I'm not going to say they're more sophisticated investors, but they tend to have more return drivers. They're more diversified. And they have more in higher returning investments. Now, if you're just getting started, the way you do that, you just have more in stocks. Because, yes, they're more volatile, but you can withstand that with volatility because you're just putting money to work. As you build your wealth, then you can be more concerned about how a major drawdown in the stock market can financially harm you. A simple plan You need to generate more income. You need to increase your savings and you need to become a better investor to generate a higher return. And we can't make it overly complicated. I've talked in the past about we're not trying to optimize a portfolio. We we don't optimize. You cannot optimize in an uncertain world. You optimize something when you know all the probabilities. That can be optimized. It's simple. You know What's the chance of something happening? You know all the aspects of it. That can be optimized. You can optimize a machine for production. You can't optimize an investment portfolio. Instead, you just want variety. Different return drivers. It's like a garden. You don't optimize flower gardens. You creatively make them a beautiful thing. Our portfolios are not optimized. We add a variety of asset types. And high net worth individuals tend to have a greater variety of asset types because they learn as they go. I mean, sometimes they have advisors, but oftentimes as you invest more, you can't say, I'm not going to invest because I too complicated or I don't have enough money. You can learn to invest. So those are the aspects of a, a simple financial plan. Increase your income, increase your savings rate increase your investment returns. One of the most gratifying things about this survey, though, is they asked, this is the Schwab survey, what is your personal definition of wealth? 72% said the way they live their life, that's how they define wealth. 28% said a specific dollar amount. It's nice to have a plan to achieve some level of net worth. But we need to live our life in a way we feel wealthy now. And that's by the choices we make, the experiences we have. Live like you're already rich is one of the themes of this podcast. So it's great to have a financial plan, a simple financial plan. Maybe you put it on an index card. But make daily choices to make your life wealthy. Time with friends and family. The service you give 
to others, just learning new things, being curious, finding ways to create additional income, not so much to create income, but just learn how to do that and find the satisfaction of selling something that you made. That's what we can do to become wealthy. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free Insider's Guide. I'll email those links to you every week. I also email some type of article that I write, an essay, personal essay on money, investing in the economy. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money investing in the economy. Have a great week.